Homestyle Green, Episode 74. In this week's show, we talk about the five E's of good project management and why should you seriously consider a Chinese-made, factory-built, prefabricated home. G'day and welcome back to episode 74 of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast all about inspiring people to make a better place to live. And you out there are probably an architect or a designer or a builder or maybe even a prospective homeowner or someone looking to do a renovation and you're after a little bit of research to find out how to make a better home. A home probably a little bit better than the building code because what we know around here is the building code is a really a bare minimum, and we're looking at going beyond that. Got a great interview today, and uh, we're going to jump straight into it because it's a bit of a long one. I caught up with Craig Nisbet of Ecotech Homes, and I don't know what's going on, but I seem to be bumping into a lot of people talking about prefabricated homes recently for lots of good reasons, I think, um, not least of which is affordability, quality, and timeliness all at the same time, which is kind of hard to believe, but um, that's the way it goes, and that is the promise of some of these prefabricated systems. Anyway, I started by asking Craig why he does what he does. Well, there are various reasons. So let's start back at the global financial crisis. It became clear to me, perhaps um, four others, that the way of doing housing projects in New Zealand was going to change. The rules changed. Mm -hmm. I don't think we knew at that stage how much that changed. And that left me needing to find other opportunities. So it was, I, I guess, it was, a, it, was a, um, it was about necessity. And I also saw, believed that we'd have an oversupply of um, overpriced properties for many years in New Zealand. I've, that's been, I guess, to some extent, proven wrong in Auckland and since the earthquake and crisis. Yeah, because GFC is pre-earthquake as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think we're only recovering now from both. Mm. Um, and I, at the same time, wanted less risk in my life. Mm -hmm. We all did, post-GFC. And a lot of the risk in construction and property was on-site construction risk, um, managing the tradesmen and subbies, and a lot of a huge amount of admin time and, and, and cost in managing progress claims and payments and etc. So I, I, I wanted. I then became an early fan of off-site manufacture of um, of housing, and at the same time, I had time. I had downtime, so I researched. Uh -huh. Because you'd had some success uh, as a business owner and entrepreneur previously, hadn't you? Yes. Yes. Coming from a, a, a gas fitter originally? Well, that's right. It's plumber. plumber. Plumber and gas fitter. I'm actually not a qualified gas fitter. I'm a qualified, I'm a craftsman plumber. Yeah. And advanced trade search. And also I'm, I, I was a chartered accountant. So I've, I'm a qualified chartered accountant. I'm no longer a member of the institute. Right. So you went and, from, from a tradesperson, retrained, became an accountant, <laughs> stayed in the in the construction industry as a developer. Yes. Um, but then thought, my, uh, you, you, why did you have this feeling that something was about to change when clearly others haven't? 
or have they just taken a, little, a longer time to sort of catch up on that? They've, they, I think they've all caught up now. But back in two thousand and seven, um, which is the, the property crash, I think a year before the GFC. So had, am I have my dates right? I think two thousand somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah, when everything went pear shaped. <laughs> when everything pear shaped, did it what? I um, well, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's because I was living in Wellington at the time, and I was convinced National would would win the election, and thus I told all my friends to get out of Wellington because they were going to cut spending, <laughs> and the gravy train is finished. Right. So in my opinion, they didn't cut spending nearly enough, but um, uh, you know, they're, doing, they're doing a reasonable job, and. I also, perhaps because of my training as an accountant, and, and I do a lot of financial modelling and macroeconomic stuff, I perhaps was better placed to um, to opine that the way we were funding projects, mm-hmm. i.e. Mm-hmm. primarily debt funded, highly geared, little equity was going to um, was going to fail, and it did it failed. Yeah, yeah. You um, mentioned you mentioned before that development carries quite a lot of risk, and that was part of the headache that you had. I, mm. I think a lot of people who haven't done that see developers as, as the, the baddies, and they, they kind of think, well, they're the guys that are making all this money. Uh, is that not the case? Is it is it not a given that a development's going to net a good reward for the, the person who's ultimately funding it? Very interesting question. There's, development is... Um... Okay, in my in reference to myself, I'm, I'm a generalist. Okay, so I'm a qualified chart. Well, I'm a qualified as a chartered accountant. I'm a craftsman plumber, so I know I'm, I've got a good understanding of what goes on in every facet of the development process. Mm-hmm. But I claim to be real. I can claim to be an expert at only one part, which is the QSing, the project appraisal, the valuation, the financial modelling, which, in my opinion, is by far the most important stage. I.e. Um, half the success of the project is in its planning stage and appraisal stage. It yeah, because you can figure out whether it's going to make money or not. In very detailed fashion, my spreadsheets are, are huge. Right. So it, it, in my opinion, it must be in very detailed fashion. So uh, to answer the question, why well, is a better place? I think because I just spent time um, appraising and I had time because I, because I wanted to de-risk. I saw the need to de-risk ahead of perhaps some of my colleagues who are now still um, rebuilding. And, and maybe I had a bit of luck on my side in that regard too. Meeting Tony Frost with Ecotech Homes was luck. Right. So Pure luck. W- what makes a good development? Ooh, I've, well, let's talk about the ethics first. I've got, I've got a, a, a chart on my wall in my office, mm. um, which actually various friends have since copied. Which, which, so we talk about ethics first. It's the five E's of projects. And in, I can't remember the order, but anyway, it's more or less this order. It's not just ethics, it's business. One, economics, that's yep. make money. Two, environment, very important to me personally and in this country. Three, the next E is um, enjoyment, life has to be fun. The fourth E is um, ethics. And the fifth E is exclusion of undesirable types. Now, ah, let's face it, yeah, undesirable types, undesirable subbies, undesirable contractors, and let's face it, there is, a, there is probably a disproportionate number of participants in property development who are, would be considered undesirable types. They probably wouldn't Not, consider themselves that, though. No, <laughs> because they, because they, 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 they become a. They're, they're, 
in the old days, development was easy to get into because you could borrow money at 90 to 100% gearing on a bit of land from a finance company. Yeah. And thus, you didn't have to be particularly good to borrow that money. The GFC, post-GFC, of course, those rules have changed, and you have to be very good and have a very good plan and be very well structured to raise funding for a project. Right. So the rules, so the rules have changed for the better. So developers, though, so therefore, because it was easy to borrow money, because you could fix the first mortgage on a property, or in many cases, second mortgage, yeah. um, it was easy for people without necessary skills to do projects, and many of them failed. Yeah, right. But right. good people failed too. Some very good people failed, and that's very sad mm. because they were caught out at the GFC with a semi-complete project where, let's not mention names of finance companies, but where the funding finance company simply refused to or couldn't fund that month's progress claim and suddenly life's work was gone within a week. And that yeah, was extremely right. because sad. Of, because of cash flow issues. And in those people, some of them not young, you know, in their fifties and sixties, who mm. were wonderful people, good people, went through life barely with a bad debt, mm. and during that week, hurt and let down contractors and subbies and consultants who had become friends. It was. Yeah, it was just, yeah. I don't think people understand how tragic that whole process was. So it's a it's a high risk, uh, potentially high returns industry. So it, it, the, the things can go wrong. Well, this is interesting. Define risk. I, if you do it right, it's actually not high risk. Right. You know, I, I came from Hawke's Bay, so. I, so I grew up around risk takers, wonderful people, farmers who, who farm through drought. Uh-huh. Who, who, you know, the Hawke's Bay droughts were famous, who I would see get more depressed every day through mm-hmm. a drought. Mm-hmm. Orchardists who lost a crop in a five-minute hailstorm, lost their, their year's income. I consider those activities a higher risk than development. The developers, developments are perceived as high risk because of the fact they were. Um, there was an industry characterized by those sort of cowboys I just discussed. Yeah, but it's not high risk because it's not low risk. <laughs> I consider medium risk because there are so many ways to mitigate risk. You can with, create a you can create a spreadsheet of of all those factors more than you can a farmer farmer can with the weather. Yeah, that's right. A good good point. And and you because of the sheer size of the project and the money involved and the number of sections or construction methodology, yeah, that, that makes it inherently risky. But there are ways to mitigate all those risks. Mm. And I think that the industry is doing that better now by necessity, post-GFC. And I think that I do it well, and, and we do it extremely well in the Ecotech group, primarily because of off-site factory manufacture yeah, of which we should Which we should move on to talking about. We didn't mean to talk about um, housing development. I, I, housing development is really interesting, though, because I think developers often get the blame for... Yep some of the poor quality of housing that uh, is around or, or some of the, the trends that we've seen. Putting the economics aside, what do you see as the biggest problem in the New Zealand housing market right now? Well, that's a wonderful session, uh, question I'm, I'm looking forward to answering. Um, compliance cost, and most people will tell you the same, it is outrageous. Right. The, and this is where our off-site manufactured product avoids a lot of compliance costs simply in terms of the um, council inspections on site and the, 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 um, that we enjoy via the multi-proof certificate to pre-certification that others don't, or many others don't enjoy. So yep. compliance costs, yeah. So how much of that is 
because of council processes versus our tendency to have bespoke design and every house is, as a previous guest said, every house that we do is, a, is almost a prototype at the moment? Very good question. I, 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 I'm oh, shooting from the head, but 50 50, I guess. Right. The, the bespoke design, it'll always be the wealthier client and good on them who want the five star bespoke design. We'll always have that. And but most of our group uh, builders are also producing bespoke design as well. Yeah, in addition to their portfolio of of, um, of uh, you know pre-approved design, many of which are multi-proof, yes, they are. Um, but the council involvement in in the design process, in terms of the inspections, is necessary. Yeah, absolutely. The cost of it is, is often outrageous. Um, but the I think the council. Uh, uh, involvement has gone too far to be one of interference yep. and sometimes I think deliberate interference which yeah, is a yeah. very dangerous thing to say I know but I'm saying it <laughs> I don't know. Well, So tell us about multi-proof because a lot of people may not have heard that term what is multi-proof and how does it work? It's uh, I know more about it in terms of us which What does it relates. mean for you as a, as a housing provider? It means that we have a suite of seven residential houses, and I should know this, but I'm, I think it's eight. <laughs> I should know that commercial units ranging from um, one one room apartments to four bedroom, two bathroom houses, which have been prior approved, pre consented by the Ministry of Business, Economic uh, Innovation, and Employment, i.e., MB. Yep. And that is a result of an exhaustive project uh, process which took eight years and cost $2 million. Eight years? You've been eight. working on this since, since the GFC? No, but my, um, my colleague and the founder, Tony Frost, has been. Wow. And I only joined That's about two years. That's some foresight right there. Oh, it's incredible. Incredible. <laughs> it's a really incredible chap, incredible strength, vision, and um, inexhaustible. Uh, so I, I was lucky enough to jump in at the final stage of that process um, Right, when he'd done all the hard work. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> As it reminds me often <laughs> over a beer. Nice. But anyway, the, um, so th- that was particularly difficult for us because, of course, we're entirely manufactured overseas. And thus, the, uh, the, um, the ministry's involvement was far, I think, far more exhaustive than it would have been in relation to a New Zealand um, on-site process or even a New Zealand factory-built process. We'll get yeah. to that in a minute. And that's good because the ministry that does MB actually required a producer statement and lab tests and reports in relation to every single component of our units right down to the paint, which is wonderful. Is that because they can't come out on site and inspect things? They're having to rely on somebody else to, to provide the evidence? Yes, primarily um, because they can't well, any multi-proof means that there's not a, an inspection process required during the, you know, the construction process for the unit. With us, of course, it was more important because, um, I guess, it, it, initially there was scepticism in terms of the quality of something made in China. Let's face it: the, the, the Chinese manufacturing, to some extent, still has a bad name, as does some manufacturing in New Zealand. Is that is that the sort of 90-pound gorilla in the room here? You, you, you're making houses in China? Not now. Probably no. was at first. 
we um, what is it now made in China? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Washing machine, laptop. I'm looking at it now. Um, no, sorry, to a small extent, yes, there'll always be some skeptics in the market, and we, we refer them to, of course, the analogy I just said: the washing machine and the laptop and everything else, and the other half the componentry in the house. And and so there'll always be a little bit of market resistance in, in that some potential clients will say, I don't care if it's multi-proofed. I don't care if you spent $2 million in eight years yeah. um, and the ministry says this unit is is first class. I don't trust it because it's managed. It doesn't matter. Mm. You're talking about 5%. Versus the good old Kiwi-made local industry, support local resources. You know, those sort of the arguments that you are likely to face there. Yeah, we face those as well. Back to the quality issue. Um, you know, we manufacture um, modules to within a maximum of five, about two millimetres tolerance. Mm-hmm. The state of the art. They really are first class. Mm. I describe them as five star internal. They, they really are first class. Mm. You won't, you just won't achieve that level of accuracy and quality of finishing componentry on site in New Zealand. Is there, an, is there an auditing process that goes along with multi-proof? You have to reapply for your multiple certificates. I think it's every two years. I should know that. Sorry, I don't. I think it's every two years. Right. So once and you have it, you don't have it forever. No, you don't. The auditing process during that period is not extensive, but if we receive um, more than one or two, maybe if we receive, if, if any complaints about a products uh, um, are received by the various territorial authorities, a councils where we've worked, and those councils then report to the ministry, we will we would lose our multi-purpose certification, absolutely. Right. So that should be of, of huge comfort to, to clients. So it can be revoked pretty quickly. It can, and far easier than, than, than a building practitioner's license can be revoked, or yep. far easier than a, 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 a compliance officer from a council can require a remedial work to be undertaken on a house yep. that he or she has inspected. So to that extent, the market must be assured that our quality really is impeccable. But but, back to your other question, which is, um, uh, you know, would the suggestion that we're, we're um, doing New Zealand's out of jobs, well, we are. Mm-hmm. We are. And that's that. But to that extent, and I'm treading on dangerous ground here, I know. <laughs> our it's compliance, slightly controversial. Yeah, it is. But let's face it. But, you, you know, to build the average house, what, two or three builders plus subbies, say four labour units for two or three months. And, and, and thus, because we're importing those houses, New Zealanders aren't getting those jobs. That's undeniable fact. Yeah. But look at the reasons why. Because it's just so damn expensive and troublesome now to build on site, particularly a bespoke house in New Zealand because of the compliance costs. Scaffolding, for instance, 3800 I think is the figure, isn't it? Average cost now. Yeah. Um, just imposed by central government. Absolute nonsense. So that cost, of course, is not thus imposed on us. Mm-hmm. Safety harnesses, um, you know, beanbags or anything under a roof truss. Absolute nonsense. Mm. Um, we've gone, we've gone way too far at the expense of ultimately the client, the house owner, in terms of our um, safety and and other bureaucratic nonsense. And a lot of that's also to do with the fact that you, you're – it's a totally different methodology of construction. You, you're talking about factory-built, prefabricated, modular design versus um, a bunch of sticks turning up on site and, and craftspeople putting them together. And I yes. guess from the client's point of view, from the homeowner, 
their main intent is not to employ people. Their main intent is to get a good home. Yes. And that's what you're providing. You know, um, and if you can do that to a higher quality and at a lower price, then that's probably going to be the biggest um, attractor for the client, I imagine. You're absolutely right. And, and that, as a result of that process, is minimal project management required by the client or his or her agent. Yeah. To the extent that you know, we're install, we, we install the foundation, generally piles, and we, we um, install the modules, we connect servers, and we go on within three days. Three days? Three risks, three days. Three days, the house is not there, or you build a platform, and then three days later, the house is there. Yes, co-compliance certificate, gone. Yeah. So just coming back to the the, the, the multi-proof thing, because um, typically people, I think, you know, know that there's this, as a big part of the building process is this arduous, you know, apply for consent, you've got to go to the council, you've got to talk to them. Multi-proof means that when you buy this house, the council has to say yes to it. Is that right? That's right. Well, as a result of multi-proof certification, the, the council has to issue building assent to us and other multi-proof um, you know, providers. Yeah. So it just takes days. away that problem for the, for the client. Yeah, that's right. They have to issue the building consent within 10 days versus the bespoke design, 20 days. Wow. And often, as we know, 20 days becomes 30 or 40 days because of various um, questions, some of which are not legitimate, asked by councils. Again, I'm treading on dangerous ground. Um, <laughs> oh, I think everyone knows that. Well, well, Whereas yours, they're not going to have any questions, are they? Because it's just, it, no. it's, it's already it's like pre-approved. They can't ask questions. Right, so it's 10 days. Um, they, any questions have to revert to the ministry, not us. Wow. Notwithstanding, we still have to satisfy the council requirements in terms oh. of um, foundations, yeah, piles, yeah, yeah. services to um, underground. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fascinating. So three days to on site, but uh, what's the period? What's the total period from someone saying, "Yep, I want that one," to moving in? Three to four months. And is that the build time and then shipping? Yes, and and it will be less when we get economies of scale. And we actually hold stock of modules on various sites around New Zealand. We're not at that stage yet. Right. We, we want to be at that stage. As I and said to my fellow so directors, this is a total paradigm shift, and you sort of—it's almost like having a warehouse of houses. You say, "Oh yeah, yes. we've got one of those in stock. You can have it next week." <laughs> that's right. That's exactly that's what I want us to be. And, and with—I've had the discussion with my fellow directors. I've used the analogy of the no leaming. Uh-huh. I want you go into the no leaming or. You, know, you, you look at various dishwashers and you'll say, I'll have that one delivered today. I want us to be that. Wow. I want someone to come on to one of our, call it a warehousing site, and say, I want that house, or I want that module, can you attach it to that module from that house? And we say, fine, we'll have it on a track tomorrow, providing your building consent, and, and we'll deliver. Is that happening to... anywhere overseas? I actually don't know. I should know. Um, I suspect it is. Yeah, I suspect it is. Um, we, I've talked to a couple of um, uh, uh, the CEO of Zeta Build Design Build in, uh, in in Texas, and they are a similar, are close to that. Um, I think their their turnaround is, is still a couple of, uh, within a month though, um, where they've got the factory production line type system in, in, in the US. Um, but there, it's slightly different again because they're building um, their factory is local, whereas yes. you're always going to have a factory. That you're importing from is that is that kind of the foreseeable process? I can't imagine that we we will be manufacturing in New Zealand because of the cost difference, mm, mm. the um, and 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 indeed quality. 
I mean, we, New Zealand is known as a high-quality manufacturer, so I'm, I'm not at all um, suggesting otherwise. But we can get the same quality much cheaper in China, and it isn't their high quality. So we, we, I can't. Yeah, we will always be at this stage building and manufacturing in China and, and importing from there. Right, right. And and remember that there's two sides to multi-proof. Let's be let's be honest. The multi-proof allows us no flexibility at all mm-hmm. in terms of the structural integrity, uh, in terms of i.e. placement of walls where windows and doors are. We we can shift those things only minimally and mm-hmm. without breaching multi-proof. So our whilst our our um, strength and the reason we're cheaper and quicker and higher quality is a lack of flexibility. That is also a bit of a deterrent to some clients, and that's okay. We have to accept that. Yeah. So cheaper, so you can have cheaper, high quality, and quick. Quick. As long as you're within the constraints, but you've got seven houses. Are those houses all individual modules, or are they made up of multiple modules? Multiple modules. Um, they are, and we never use the word shipping container. It's <laughs> that is a no. I, I didn't say it. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. But but, I, but I'm about I'm precluding that. So they're built in modules which are of shipping container configuration. Because they're not shipping containers, are they? Because I've spoken no. to an architect about this. There are plenty of people who are building houses or have made amazing designs, and I've got a whole Pinterest board dedicated to it, of houses made out of shipping containers. But yours are not shipping containers, aren't they? This is quite an no. important point. They're absolutely not. They're built in that configuration for obvious um, reasons, i.e. shipping. But they are um, not. The, cust- the, 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 the custom-built um, in various configurations in terms of, um, you know, bathroom module, kitchen module, et cetera. So the common and, thing is with the shipping container that you can stack them on top of each other and click them in place on a, on a boat. That's right. And, and, and that actually was, um, that was an interesting process in that through that process, we learnt that, of course, the lower down on the hull you are, the cheaper your shipping rate. Uh-huh. So our instructions were to build modules which could be shipped at the bottom of the hull. Right. As a result, they're built extremely strong. Yeah. And as a result of that, they can be stacked um, basically to 12, 15 high as wow. of right. Wow. Uh, they're extremely strong. And, and and a friend actually referred me to the Rena, um, you know, by Tauranga. Yep. If you recall the way those containers remained connected but curved out over the hull yeah, of the... Yeah, yeah, when it was yeah. leaning, it's listing over to one side, yeah. That's the strength of um, the 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 pins and the process that ship, that bolts together shipping containers. Uh-huh. Not entirely dissimilar to, to what we use, but but yeah, we we're custom built and the, the cladding uh, is a uh, again under the multi-proof certificate we can't alter the the, the cladding per se. It's a it's a very strong weatherboard profile. Steel cladding. Uh, so steel, but it looks like weatherboards. Yes, mm-hmm. we've only just in the last few weeks concluded a process where we've chosen some some additional clip-on cladding facades, okay. um, comprising stone, um, uh, uh, low-profile aluminium corrugation, um, etc. Because to be fair, one of the criticisms, and it, it is fair was that the cladding 
some view it as a little bit industrial looking, and, that, and that's a fair criticism. Yep. I, I I like it. I like the cladding as is, particularly the, the, the lighter colour, the white, etc. But again, grey, black, it was a bit industrial looking. So we 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 of course now have the, the clip-on facades to alleviate that if it's a concern to, to some people at a cost, of course, but not a great, not, it's not a, not a high cost. Mm, mm. But also you can add, add lots of variability with the roof type as well, because you can stick on lots of different types of roof. Yes, our, our roof structure is, again, seamlessly welded steel. Yeah. We can't leak, therefore, with the, um, with the down pipes sealed to the roof structure in an internal cavity. Uh, minimal pitch, three and a half degrees. As a plumber, I, I don't like flat roofs. So or internal gutters? I, don't, I, can, I despise internal gutters. We never <laughs> clean them as we should, do we? We always have floods. Of course we do. So there are no internal gutters either. Um, and again, some people don't like, but it's still from um, from a street, a flat roof. Yes, it yeah. is. So some people don't like that either. So we now we also have a, a simple cantilevered system. We can just erect a, a monopitch roof for aesthetic purposes. Yeah, right. So it's a like a fake, a fake roof. Yes, it is a fake roof. A hat. <laughs> yeah, what well, it is, yeah. Hey, look, we are um, out of time, Craig, but I could go on talking more and more about this because it's fascinating. I mean, you're changing so much. You change design, but you're changing a, um, the whole methodology. Uh, you're changing the whole procurement delivery chain. Really fascinating stuff. You are working on some projects at the moment. Are you yes. selling to the public now? We're selling to the public uh, in terms of one-off sales. Uh-huh. Uh, via the website, and we're still working on a website. To be fair, it's not it's yet as good as it should be. Yep. Uh, we're still, in fact, working on our dis- distribution network. Right. But in terms of, the, 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 yeah, we are. You and, are open, uh, you're open for business. Oh, absolutely. We're making, where, where do people go to find out more? www.ecotechhomes.co.nz, um, and we always follow up an inquiry with a quote. So you're, you're a quote. small but but nimble team at the moment. Small but nimble, and we're getting increasingly active in the, in the, in the large projects as as earlier discussed, and, yeah, and yeah. hopefully there'll be news about that in the next few weeks. Are you are you in social media space at all? No. Right. No, I'm not a fan of it. No. Um, it's a two-way street. Yeah. Um, that that may change. That yeah. As a board, we may decide to later, but at the moment, no, we're not. So head on over to the to the website ecotech.co.nz. Ecotechhomes.co.nz. Sorry, Ecotechhomes. Well, it's sort of Google anyway, so people can't Yeah, yeah, Ecotechhomes, yep. And you've got some great images there and and also some um, floor plans so people can get an idea. We haven't talked a lot about the structure, but um, I think it's better if people head over there and and get a a sense of what we're actually talking about. Uh, What's your favourite book, Craig? (laughs) Bryce Courtney, The Four Fires. Highly, re- highly relevant to building and... Uh... It is, and, and, and to loyalty and friendship and all the things in life that are important. That's right. It kind and of love. Comes, it, kind of, it comes back to those five E's. It's five E's, yeah. absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. Do you remember them? Economics, ethics, exclusion of undesirables, environment. And enjoyment. Enjoyment. Life has to be fun. Yeah, I, I like that. Really appreciate your time, Craig. It's been fantastic speaking with you. Um, we didn't talk about Ghana. No. We're flying there tomorrow. What's the main pur- two main pur- very quickly, what's the main purpose of that? We received an, uh, an invitation to visit Ghana directly from the ministry uh, to discuss the supply of up to 200,000 affordable housing units. 200,000 200, affordable houses. And it's a, it's a lower-spec design than the New Zealand design, Yeah, but it's still a, a quality unit, but it is indeed 
philosophy. We have researched wow. exhaustively the last 18 months. We're happy with the integrity of the people we're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're happy that Ghana is a stable, sovereign state, referring to instability around Africa, of course. So we're satisfied with that. We're meeting the Minister of Housing himself and later in the week the President. Wow. Mm, it's exciting. So that right there is probably a good reason for uh, New Zealand and, and other parts around the world to um, keep an eye out on what you're doing. Yes, thank you. It could <laughs> champion the law of New Zealand, can't it? You know, this major yeah, yeah. supply to, to an emerging economy, yeah. um, which is good for New Zealand. Absolutely, absolutely. Been a pleasure talking to you, Craig. Thank you very All much. Thanks for the time, call. Thank you. Talk to you soon. And that was Craig Nisbet of Ecotech Homes. I hope you enjoyed that. And I really looking, I'm really looking forward to catching up with Craig when he gets back from Ghana. Two hundred thousand houses—that's that's pretty astonishing. And I think that is a great endorsement for their system, and also other prefabricated systems as well. Other systems that may be eligible for that multi-proof consenting and. I think one of the reasons that that hasn't been utilised more is because of this tendency for us to allow for changes to happen to plans, and that's something that is pretty common in the group home builder arena, and certainly architecturally designed homes. We've talked about this with um, with Dan from Box Living that, that a lot of architectural homes are essentially. Um, they're almost prototypes because they're sort of one-offs and multi-proof is definitely the other end of the spectrum. So it's a bit of a different culture change, but it is one of the solutions for getting affordable, quality and quick all at the same time. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you do have any thoughts, questions, comments about that, then please do get in touch, matthew at homestylegreen.com. I'm also interested in... If you have a an interesting project that you're working on yourself or if you know of another project, then I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch. Uh, you can check out or send us a, a, a message through Facebook or that email address, Matthew at Homestyle Green. Um, and I'd love to know if you've got any other, other ideas for interviewees. Who would you like us to get on the show? Are there designers or architects, builders, interesting people in your area? then get in touch, let me know, and I'll see if I can uh, get in touch with them and get them on the show. That's it for this week. Bit of a long one, but I hope it was worthwhile. Uh, So I will speak to you again next week. And in the meantime, go make a better place to live.